Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser. Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Podcast. Today we're talking with Kay Curling, the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer with Salient CRGT, and Mike Civello, Vice President and Founder of Rethink Benefits. Salient CRGT has created several initiatives to help engage neurodiverse individuals in its workforce, including bringing in neurodiverse students to work in the company over the summer. Rethink Benefits is one of their partners, who helps provide support to employees who either are or who may be caregivers for individuals with disabilities, including autism and Down syndrome. Neurodiverse individuals and how to kind of keep them engaged in the workforce, how your companies or organizations have already done that. Kay, you have done actually research on this topic and your work and research that you've done has focused on neurodiverse individuals. Can you explain that term? What does a neurodiverse individual mean? How are you defining that? I think Mike has probably done more research than I have, but I'll tell you from my vantage point as an employer how I think about this. Diversity programs as a whole have been part of corporate America for decades. So we understand um, in corporations what what diversity looks like in terms of gender or ethnicity or religious preference. It's something that it's a dialogue that's been had for many decades and we understand. But just as much as those traits are part of our collective experience and and collective differences, so is the way that we think and we process information. So if you think about neurodiversity, we are all neurodiverse. The way our brains are wired for each individual in the workplace is different. Um, So much like a fingerprint is the way I look at it, we all have different wirings and different gifts and abilities. So neurodiverse would capture the entire population. Neurotypical would be those employees that um, we believe to be mainstream thinkers. Where um, and, And the term neurodiverse then is used... I guess, in counterpoint to neurotypical. Um, Some folks say neuro-minority, but I think that gives it a a little bit of a negative spin. But anyway, the neurodiverse employee is the type of employee who thinks, whose brain is wired differently and therefore thinks and processes information and communicates differently than our typical employee. And then, Mike, can I have you weigh in on that topic? Maybe just introduce Rethink. So what is your company, kind of what you do, and and how do you work with other companies and organizations on this topic? Rethink focuses on empowering individuals with developmental disabilities, such as autism, ADD, ADHD, Down syndrome, and a variety of other conditions. And we do that primarily by partnering with major employers, and we're positioned as a benefits product, meaning employers purchase Rethink on behalf of their employees, and then Rethink is offered company-wide and employees that need support are able to utilize Rethink's services in the home. And at the core, Rethink is a training tool that really helps parents and caregivers understand the best behavioral therapy techniques and how to apply them to their daily lives. So we really, in a nutshell, teach parents and family members how to work with children with special needs to teach them critical skills and abilities, academics, language, address behavioral concerns, and other types of life circumstances. And we're leveraging that training expertise to uh, encompass neurodiversity in the workplace. And to Kay's point, the term 
neurodiversity, neurodiverse, or even neurodivergent are all relatively new terms. However, they're categorizing something that's been a natural part of the human condition probably forever. Um, we just haven't had great language to help define and describe and ultimately advocate for and support and include these types of individuals. Um, developmental disabilities are the more categorical conditional references when you're in the childhood years receiving an official diagnosis like autism. Neurodiversity is somewhat born from that. Um, really trying to weave in this concept to the comfortable language and terms utilized in workplace dynamics like diversity and inclusion programs overall. I'm not really sure where the term evolved from, but there's a couple of different spins on the, on the meaning. Um, I really second Hay's interpretation of it. I think it's a very natural variation in the way that the human brain processes information. And then from that, there can be some communication variances and other types of um, activities and things that can specifically categorize someone as neurodivergent or neurodiverse as opposed to neurotypical. Uh, I think largely the term neurodiverse or neurodiversity came from uh, some major organizations that were looking to better include and adopt hiring programs for adults with autism specifically, but neurodiverse and neurodiversity is a much larger definition and category. It really includes any and all individuals who have variances in their style and way of communicating and learning and processing information and behaving. I think one of the interesting things about where we stand today is that what, um, while this is an emerging frame of reference, when diversity and inclusion councils first started, um, folks either didn't know about them, didn't know how to put them in, didn't know what it meant to their corporate culture. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty, and we now understand the benefit of that to the greater workplace and to the individuals in our employment. What we're seeing today is just, you know, fast forward to this new understanding of diversity. So we haven't changed diversity. All we've done is broaden its definition. And from an employer's perspective, you know, we're not trying to fix people. We're not trying to label them or fix them. What we're trying to do is find suitable work for them and help them cope and thrive in an environment. That's what we want for all of our employees. And so what I think we're seeing in this neurodiversity movement from an employer perspective is the ability to have the conversation and be able to adapt our environment, our way of thinking, our processes, our policies in a way that is the most inclusive of everyone. What are the, some of the ways that you work with these individuals? Some of the practical ways you're making your workforce more accommodating, maybe specifically to salient CRGT or just more broadly to how rethink applies to a variety of workplaces? Our strategy probably has been a little bit different than the Microsofts of the world. We started partnering with a local high school 
to have students do school internships in our workplace. The students would come with a job coach and we were helping to, we were providing an environment to help them build their skills for future employment. After high school, the students in, in our particular Metro DC area move on to, they have the opportunity to move on to um, higher level vocational training. And currently Salient CRGT for the last six years has partnered with this organization post high school to bring in their um, interns to perform valuable services for us. They start with a job coach and once they have mastered what the job is, the coach leaves unless we need the coach back. But the things that we've done in the environment, so, so I'm talking about relatively young individuals. Think of them as folks that either would be in college or just finished college. 20 to 25 year olds, I guess, is the population that I'm talking about. So the things that we have learned in this, um, and we've had 10 students that we have worked with um, over these last six years, we have learned a lot about communicating with the individuals. We learned some of this through the school. We've learned some of it through the coach. I've learned some of it through Rethink, who is our partner, and I've learned some of it through other organizations out in the community. Interviewing these folks is not it's you can't use a traditional form of an interview many of the individuals that we're talking about in this neurodiverse potential employee set communication skills don't um, marry up to our expectations of a typical interview so whether it's they don't establish eye contact they don't shake hands they're not comfortable in a um, typical interview setting we have had to think differently about how we engage them from the first time we meet them. Group meetings, I can tell you from my own group, we have a neurodiverse individual working with us. Group meetings are very difficult for him. So we don't include him in group meetings, but rather when we are prepared to speak with him about what's coming next for his assignments, we do that in a much more private manner to allow him the comfort to express his concerns. Sometimes we have to communicate with the individual through a coach because that coach is more highly trained than we are. If we have a behavioral pattern that we're not quite sure what to do with, we'll go to a partner such as Rethink or Department of Rehabilitative Services or back to a coach to say, here's what we're experiencing, how can you help us? The folks that we have worked with have had their rule followers. So the, everything's very black and white and we don't live in a black and white world or our workforces are not black and white. That, you know, every day there's thousands of nuanced conversations or, or the way we express things that are, uh, or the way we conduct our work that are not conducive to rule following. You learn how to adapt to each unique individual just like we would with any other team members. One of the things for our specific team member we have to be very careful about is not approaching him rapidly because that startles him. So I think with every team member on your team, whether they're neurodiverse or neurotypical, you know, you have to learn how to get along and do what's best for that person. It sounds ideal that you would have, that you would have companies that want to engage all employees that want to bring in. Um, we talk, you know, kind of about thought diversity a lot and when it comes to hiring diversity. And so neurodiversity is just another spectrum for that, but it's also a little more work for employers. So kind of 
why are you doing that? And then maybe Mike can jump in with some of the benefits he's seen for employers that do engage and do make the investment in attracting a neurodiverse workforce and supporting neurodiverse individuals within a workforce. I'm in the IT industry, and the IT industry is always looking for new talent pools. We have a growing need to find talent, and some of the things that we do in the IT industry can be rather mundane or boring for folks, which creates high turnover. So perhaps you're looking at folks that do code testing, software code testing, and it's very routine or debugging. Those types of things those types of jobs tend to be very high turnover positions because people are not interested in doing that over the long term. One of the beauties of some neurodiverse individuals is that something that they understand and they have an intense focus on and the ability for them to focus intently and intensely makes them really good at their jobs, and they're also very happy to stay in that type of job for a long period of time. So it is definitely a benefit to the industry and a benefit to the community. About 80% of folks, or probably more than 80%, um, Mike can speak to this, the folks in this population that we're talking about are either unemployed or underemployed, but there's great opportunities if we will just open up our collective imaginations um, to to employ them in meaningful work. You know, when I've done a deep dive into some of the programs that have really tailored approaches like SAP's Autism at Work program, Microsoft's Neurodiversity Initiative, they're showing uh, in larger numbers sort of at the macro level what Kay was just describing, really strong results in terms of productivity, engagement, and retention. Oftentimes, when placed in the right opportunities, they outperform their peers and stay in their jobs much, much longer. It's interesting because the war on talent has never been stronger uh, and more volatile these days, uh, particularly in technology. Um, and technology is a thriving field for many types of individuals with a neurodiverse condition, particularly autism and a couple of other things. And to read statistics that show 80% of adults with autism with a four-year college degree, I might add, are unemployed in their field of study or unemployed altogether simply because they're getting weeded out of the interview process too early because they're not making eye contact or uncomfortable in the interview style setting, where otherwise they would probably be a much better and longer term fit than people that made it through the interview process. So it's actually small changes that need to be done that have a much bigger impact than I think employers realize at first. I really look at it, and, and Kay made this point nicely earlier, it's less thinking about neurodiversity in a silo. It's thinking about what does your company represent? Are you inclusive or are you not? And I think you can borrow from the same principles that apply to ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, and really take a hard look at what you're doing for folks with neurodiverse conditions or even physical disabilities and everything else. And it starts with awareness. You have to look at the central resources available to you, start with HR and management. It, it's really just 
simple education and getting the conversation started. And, you know, we really like to focus on what's called reasonable accommodation, guiding those discussions to say, what is a reasonable accommodation for someone to thrive in this workplace that might have some specific needs that are a little bit different than what you're used to dealing with? And it's really important to use the right language and to get their heads around it in very practical ways. And Kay already gave a great example, dealing with group discussions. If someone's uncomfortable with group discussions, but they're incredibly strong in their job and job performance? Is it a reasonable accommodation to allow them to simply dial in and listen in on the meeting and then write their feedback out in an email later when they've had time to think and digest because they're not as comfortable on the spot? Is that a reasonable accommodation? I can't answer that for you, but I think it's those types of conversations that need to be going on in the workplace. And the goal is to not silo out or identify who might be neurodiverse and who's neurotypical, similarly to the way that you would not try to go out of your way and say, are you gay or are you straight? Are you transgender, male, female? It's really to say we have the right social construct to provide opportunities to the maximum number of talent pools. And autism in particular is really strong with pattern recognition, details that require a ton of minutia and repetition that sometimes neurotypical people just simply cannot manage. Almost those gifts that Kay was talking about, unfortunately, are being overlooked. So I think the ROI is so strong, you know, when you get down to the foundational elements and approaches. Some of the other accommodations that I was reading about in that Microsoft has a an interesting business travel policy that says that they have to share rooms. And what they found was that that was very, very difficult for their neurodiverse employees and folks needed, you know, time to separate out and have their own quiet time. Um, They talked about audio recording meeting or writing expectations through an email so that it was very clear what the expectations are. Perhaps it's too uncomfortable to have those kind of conversations face-to-face. So it's, as Mike said, it's the very practical things that often go unasked in companies that don't have these conversations. And that's really where, um, that's what interested me so much in engaging with Mike and bringing this conversation to a broader audience because it's really not been overly time-consuming. But it does take time to have these conversations, particularly at the executive and management level, get folks to understand what it is that we could be missing by not including these individuals in our workforce. I think you bring kind of a great point to it. When I listen to this, I think, and not to belittle the phrase, like, you know, I'm a little unique. I'm a little diverse in terms of the way I do my work. And I'm very lucky that I have an employer who kind of recognizes those quirks. So really all of all employees have that. And this just is maybe, a you know, again, another variation that, as Mike said, employers have been making accommodation to try to attract a more diverse workplace in a lot of ways. And this is just another area that they can begin to do that. We spoke earlier kind of about IT and you talked about debugging and co-testing and how neurodiverse individuals excel there. Are there other career fields where you found neurodiverse individuals thrive? I can tell you from what I have seen outside of IT that the hospitality and culinary arts industry is really doing a great job embracing neurodiverse communities. 
lots of times we have folks who are very artistic. So whether it's the design, illustration, perhaps photography professions, as well as the helping profession. So I don't think it's unusual for any of us to walk into a grocery store or to a vet, a veterinarian's office and find neurodiverse individuals working there. For in the DC market region, it's very commonplace to walk into any of any retail establishment and see these folks working alongside other coworkers. I'll add to that. I, I've seen some really interesting emerging case studies within the defense area. I know in Israel, they've had tremendous success employing individuals with conditions like autism, for example, because they excel at pattern recognition, satellite reviews, things where a neurotypical person would miss things. And when you're talking about a defense job, that can be a life or death situation. So I think the aerospace field and a couple of other groups are following suit and really recognizing the unbelievable benefits of this talent pool and what they can bring to the table. Same for science fields, a lot going on there, a lot of chatter about it. I think it also depends a bit on the structure of your company and the types of neurodiverse individuals we're talking about. There's an intense focus on autism and I'm glad we're having this discussion because it gives us an opportunity to say we want to create opportunities for everyone and not just hyper-focus on autism, which has its own unique set of challenges and successes. We really want to look at all individuals, period. So when I think about, conversely, Gulfstream Aerospace, for example, an organization I recently connected with, they have an amazing program internally where not only is it creating jobs, for individuals with Down syndrome who are able to work with their hands and manufacture ergonomic office furniture pieces and design. They're able to do it by recycling airplane parts, quite honestly. So it's a green effort as well. It's sustainable and it's created a, a whole new line of jobs. And now other businesses are looking to purchase these ergonomic pieces, which can be sold at a fraction of the price because they're used with they're made from recycled pieces that otherwise would have gone to a landfill. And I love seeing stories like that because I think businesses really just with simple awareness and having the right conversations and bringing in a little bit of creativity can create opportunities that are out of the box, that create more jobs and more revenue streams for the company as well, instead of looking at it as yet another thing to do. I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. You know, we want to make the world better for everybody. Everybody should be included and everybody brings something different to the table. And I think, Lindy, your comment on I'm a little different, I actually love that because the more conversations we have, I think the more comfortable it will be for all of us to recognize that no one is normal. The word normal is not a great word. <laughs> it sort of defines normal and then what is everybody else? Odd or different? You know, this is really what we're trying to achieve through efforts like neurodiversity and inclusion. It's getting rid of normal versus not normal. There's no such thing anymore. Everybody is different. We have a saying in our house that the only thing normal in our house is the setting on my dryer. <laughs> I um, like that, Kay. Yeah. One thing that's of interest in the federal contracting world is that there are specific contracts called the Ability One contract where the federal government has recognized the importance of employing individuals with all 
all of their abilities in mind. And these Ability One contracts are bringing to government contractors and to the government a very diverse workforce. And to me, this is really exciting to see because it's providing opportunities for all types of abilities and not, as Mike mentioned, not being hyper-focused on one type of ability, but really bringing into the federal contracting workforce a variety of opportunities that individuals that may not have ever been considered previously are now the main focus for employing. Pretty exciting. Yeah, it's just, I mean, this is definitely an interesting and a, I feel like an emerging and a growing need. And I'm glad that the federal government and federal contracting is kind of making an opportunity. I'm really glad to hear companies like Salient CRGT are investing in this. Then we also have consultancies and other organizations like Rethink Benefits here helping companies think through all this. I know we could go on for a long time, but one of the things I will tell you, one of the best benefits that we've had from a company perspective is our employees that engage with our neurodiverse employees really are proud that we are doing that. And they take the time to tell us. We never expected, it was never an expected outcome to create improved engagement or to have our other employees think better about us as an employer because of this program. But it's a natural effect of the program. And quite frankly, I can tell you when our particularly our students, when they leave for the summer, our employees ask, when are they coming back? They look forward to seeing them in the workplace and engaging with them. So you don't do it for that reason, but it certainly has been, I've been very aware of the impact it's had on those that are in the workplace surrounding our neurodiverse employees. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Security Clearance Podcast. Please visit news.clearancejobs.com for more security clearance news, insights, and information. Have a great day.